Hey everyone, welcome to episode 39 of the Rosane Detroit Pistons Podcast. I'm Carl Rosane. And I'm Alex Rosane. And so it's May 10th, the Pistons are out of the playoffs, SVG has just been fired, and uh, in this 39th episode, I look back in our second episode, we were talking about the beginning of the SVG era. So in the lifetime of this podcast, this will be kind of a nice, or a bookend of sorts, and we want to take take some time to assess Van Gundy, uh, whether he should have been fired, where we're at right now. And we're going to talk about a lot of things kind of about the history of his, of his era. But I wanted to, we wanted to first start by addressing perhaps the most stinging thing that people bring up a lot uh, in terms of having signed last season, having drafted uh, Luke Kennard over Donovan Mitchell, who's, who Donovan Mitchell has been in, absolutely incredible in the playoffs, looking like you know, leading the Jazz to a first-round playoff victory uh, along with, you know, Rudy Gobert. And it's just really hard for people to to, to kind of look at that and not feel like that itself is a fireable offense. And that seems like it's taking it too far to our tempered tempered reasoning. So let's start there, Alex. I see way too many people saying that's a fireable offense. Um, I think it's important to go back and to to realize that the draft is a crapshoot and nobody knows what's going to happen. And the, a lot of times the best guy taken in the draft was not taken in the first couple or it's not who you expect. Think of Giannis Antetokounmpo in, in past years and, and so forth. But um, even at the time, so at the time, what do we know about Mitchell and what do we know about Kennard? Um, well, I, I think one thing we knew about uh, Mitchell was that everyone knew he was a great kid who was going to work hard and had a championship mentality, and they knew he was a crazy athlete. And we knew that he was the si- a size in between point guard and uh, shooting guard. It was one of those things where it's like, he's kind of ideal point guard size, but he doesn't have point guard skills. So what do we do? And um, I, I think most of the draft analysts were saying he could really evolve into being a useful, uh, a starter someday and he'll be good at defense right away, and he just he's got to work on his offense. I mean, that that was really the consensus on him. Yeah, and he's and he, now he looks like a Damian Lillard light kind of quality player, which is sort of shocking. And I, you know, I'm happy for the Jazz, and I I like Mitchell a lot, and it's, and it has been painful. I really wish we happened to draft him. And the thing is, I, I think that to be fair, we did go against the grain a little bit in taking Kennard, and it is on SVG a little bit for. If you go against the grain, you you should be right, and if you're really good at it. And Mitchell, I mean, Kennard's looking to be uh, perhaps an NBA starter, which is not bad for an eighth pick uh, for the twelfth pick in the draft. Uh, but it, it definitely stinks. I, Alex, you found the site to the mean.com that really had a, a nice way of looking at all of the experts' predictions for every draft pick, and we found a couple of things that were kind of a nice way of summarizing just how against the grain it was. Yeah, there were the, this that site. It's, it's really nice. I just ran across it a couple of weeks ago. It it brings up twelve different draft experts, including you know ESPN's Chad Ford and who who does reporting based on what GMs are actually going to do, and ESPN's Kevin Pelton, who has his own um, numerical model based on statistics, and it had Draft Express and uh, NBA Draft.com, which are sort of scouting based, or NBA Draft.net, which are scouting based. Ones, and everyone in between. So it has a bunch of ones I hadn't heard of and all the ones I had heard of. And we just kind of looked at some really basic facts about how many of them had Kennard uh, rated uh, ahead of Mitchell and how many of them 
you know, the other way around. Um, I think, Kyle, you have the numbers close to you there. So we have – so so seven out of the 12 experts had Mitchell ranked higher than Kennard, and five had Kennard ranked higher than Mitchell. So that's pretty close. Uh, the high – so – and then if you look at – given our draft pick position of 12th, um, only two people – two of the experts had Kennard ranked two or higher, but only three had Mitchell ranked three or higher. So no one – I mean – At 12th or higher. At, at 12th or higher, I mean. So only three of the experts thought Mitchell was worth picking 12th or better, and he's clearly – Perhaps the second best. I mean, he's he's the he's probably the the best pick of that draft. I mean, he's not he's not, he's not rookie of the year because Ben Simmons, who was drafted the year prior, is maybe even more awesome. But it's shocking that he's as good as he is. And I think the Brozane point there is, yeah, it really sucks. We really almost got him, but chill on the idea that you knew for sure that this was a terrible decision. Yeah, it, exactly. I mean, you know, it was probably would have been the safer pick to pick. Um, Mitchell, just based on absolute best raw prospect available. But Kennard was possibly the best shooter in, in the draft and is a, an appropriate size for a shooting guard and had a lot of poise under pressure and decent ball handling skills for a shooting guard uh, and played for a major program uh, at Duke. Um, and just even in, into some analytics, if you looked at who was the best um, pick-and-roll ball handler in terms of efficiency – uh, how does the play turn out when he's a ball handler? He was the number one in the NCAA. Now, I don't think that means he should be your point guard doing that all the time, but you see there's a logic there. And the year before, or, or the not the year before, but a couple years before when we drafted Stanley Johnson, um, it was kind of between Devin Booker and Stanley Johnson. We decided to go with Stanley Johnson, who was the athlete, the, the, the better raw prospect, um, and the, the winner from uh, from a good program over Devin Booker, who was the the shooter. Um, it's like it, you know, so we went we, we went one way in one draft and the other way in the other draft. Um, it, these things are just hard, uh, you know. John, Donovan Mitchell just had a year where he shot thirty four percent from three, I believe, and it was you know really good on three pointers, uh, especially when he was open which was the, the big, like, worry about him as a long-term NBA prospect. Okay, how unlikely was that? Well, let me just put it this way. Stanley Johnson had better shooting numbers in college than Donovan Mitchell did. And Johnson has been so bad that he it, it's threatening his ability to be a starter in the NBA uh, for his entire career. Um, he only makes, like, you know, a third of his wide-open three-pointers, and he makes about a quarter of his three-pointers overall. Uh, uh, over his two seasons in college, Donovan Mitchell shot 42-33-79. That's field goal percentage, three-point percentage, free-throw percentage. And Stanley Johnson's shot 45-37-74. Better from the floor, uh, a couple percentage points worse on free throws. Free throws do predict uh, NBA three-point shooting, but it's just, these things are just hard. and, And just, I'd like people to stop pretending like they knew. That, yeah, that this and is, and you know this isn't exactly like we're not talking about like actual public policy decisions or like electing officials. So if you just want to vent, it's you know it's maybe it's more fun just to pile on. But I, I do think that it's not quite fair to, to to claim that it was an obvious mistake and a fireable offense. It I don't know you'd like to see someone be brilliant and and, and see something that you didn't. And to me, that kind of leads me just to my overall assessment of Van Gundy is that I don't think that he was. 
he never made any like obviously bad decisions, like indefensible. And we'll go through some of them. And, and I think when you look at any, any single any given one that people usually harp on, you usually look at what the what the options were available at the time, uh, like in free agency and things like that. And you go, you know what? Like it wasn't a terrible decision. Like it was a sensible, somewhat sensible decision. My criticism of him is that he hasn't been better than that. Like simply not not making obviously awful decisions is not what you hope for in a what we hope was bringing on a top, you know, a top five coach kind of person. So from the GM side. You know, our, our, we we didn't have enough cases where we found a, a really big win. We've had a couple of small ones where we, you know, for instance, Reggie Bullock is one of those guys who's like on a great contract. Um, but we've also just like signed a bunch of people, role players, to kind of their peak market value. And if you take a bunch of peak market value role players and assemble a roster, you're just not going to be good enough to to be as good as we want to be. So I, I I guess I would say he hasn't been. He hasn't been brilliant, and, and that's what I would like to see for us to turn the franchise around instead of being like a, you know, ju- just on the outside of the playoffs, having our second best player being injured and having like Reggie Jackson gets injured and suddenly we're, we're awful. Like we shouldn't be quite that sensitive to him being injured, things like that. I, I, I can't really point a finger to it, and I'm not satisfied with sort of the NBA critique of the Pistons. Like I'm not satisfied, but I'm not really satisfied with their critique either. Yeah, I, the, so there was a there was a lot that that you just said there that I, I want to react to. Just just to close the book on Canard, there are examples of guys having rookie years like Canard just did, good shooting but low usage. Um, the best examples I could find of guys with similar numbers that rookie year were um, Wesley Matthews, Brent Barry, Reggie Miller, Demar Derozan. So those are that. The, it's 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 still possible Kennard can end up being an all-star, a multiple-time all-star. Most likely we're looking at, you know, a, a, a J.J. Redick, a Marco Bellinelli, something like that. We'll see. But I'm just – all hope is not lost. Yeah. Okay, okay so going – I think the, the next thing on the, on the indictment against Van Gundy as a GM is the um, signing free agents to their market value. If you just, just – Thinking big picture, if you sign, if you always sign guys to what they're actually worth, you will end up with an average team that wins about 41 games, which is what we've done on average over Van Gundy's tenure. So that doesn't look like a winning strategy. But I, um, although, you know, Carl just said all of his moves are defensible. So how, how, how can that be? I'm, I'm looking at the context in which those decisions were made and what the actual cost of them was. When we signed um, John Luer and Ish Smith in the summer of 2016, those are the contracts that are still on our books that are probably the worst ones. Ish Smith is like fine, but but yeah, for, John, we signed John Luer in the summer before the 16-17 season, four years, 41 million, and he yeah yeah, and, and so he's being paid like a like a starter. And uh, he he had a half a great half a good season where he looked like he might earn his contract, and then he had the second half of the season was terrible, and then he missed this whole last year with injury. So it's just like a complete bust. Yeah, we'll we'll see if we can salvage it. Okay, but when when we signed the, we signed those two and Boban Marjanovic uh, to a probably a speculatively above market contract during that 2016 summer when. You may remember the NBA salary cap jumped up by a bunch, and suddenly a lot of teams had uh, market value, had a cap room, and that inflated the market value of a lot of players. So that was the summer when 
guys like Nick Batum got a $25 million a year contract. Kent Bazemore got a $17 million a year contract. There was some, some site, I lost the link, but it might have been Bleacher Report or something, um, that, that had a worst free agent deals of the summer of 2016. And uh, John Lures was rated 15th worst uh, that year. So we were about average that year. Um, so probably the smart move um, in a vacuum, not knowing the context, would be just don't sign free agents that year when, when the market's inflated. Um, that, that way you don't end up with you know, inflated contracts on your books. But what we had done that summer is we had engineered things so that we, we were going into that season, that offseason, with having just won 44 games with a young roster uh, and room for a max cap slot. And we targeted a guy who would have been a perfect fit, Al Horford. Yeah, who's, all, who's been awesome in the playoffs. And, and last night, he in the closeout game where Boston eliminated Philadelphia, he was just incredible. Um, so he's an all-star. And, you know, he, 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 so he would have been, been able to play with us. He could play center with Tobias Harris at power forward, or he could be, play power forward next to Andre Drummond, and we have this incredible front line. Uh, he's a facilitator. He would have been great. Uh, he wouldn't, he, we were not on the list of teams he was willing to meet with, uh, and that was a bust. So here we have this cap room. So the smart move uh, in a vacuum is, we'll just save your cap room. Use it the next year. Don't be dumb. And uh, I think I recently heard Ryan Rosillo on a podcast say what teams do is it's like they're walking out the out of a casino with chips in their pockets so they feel like they got to spend it, and, but instead they just throw it in the garbage, signing terrible guys. So this is the Ben Gordon, Charlie Villanueva scenario where you just you you, you think you have to use the cap room. Is that what we did here? I don't think it is because there was a special circumstance that summer where the Andre Drummond counted against our cap. Um, only with a small cap hold, which is you know an arcade thing under the collective bargaining agreement, where he was counting just like five million or something like that against our cap in the couple weeks before we signed him to an extension. We signed him to our max extension, so we had this cap room for one month only, and then for the basically for three years after that, we were going to have a, a team built around Drummond and Reggie Jackson, um, and we we're going to be above the salary cap, regardless of what else we did, basically. So what we have there is, it's not like we have chips that we could have saved for later. What we had was store credit that was going to expire in six hours or something like that. And so we signed guys who we thought would be good complements. A backup point guard, Ish Smith, a backup center, Boban, that we thought we needed because we thought Aaron Baines was going to leave. And John Luer, who... Uh, had the potential to be a really nice fit next to Drummond, a guy who basically a 3 and D power forward, can hit corner threes and is a good team defender. That was the idea. Could hit, could hit corner threes, apparently. Yeah, we got, um, yeah past tense is uh, very uh, painful right now. And um, if we hadn't signed them, we still would have been over the salary cap and not able to sign any other free agents. Um, and we're we're not up against the luxury tax right now. Well, I guess so. So the actual like, what else could we have done was nothing, and well, we would have the same team with like guys who are just as bad or worse. Well, I guess the one question I have about that is so we so we had this small window where we had more cap room than we would have otherwise with the cap hold on Drummond, but we still signed them for to like John Lure to a four year deal. If we had just not signed him, we still would have more flexibility in the future. 
Is that true? Uh, can, you just, mean, can you sit there and just like not just, you know, I don't know. We, well, we could have tried to sign someone to a shorter term contract, something less risky. We, yeah, I, we, of the, the number of years on the contract is, is valid to bring up, but, but, but Lure's contract ends at the same year Reggie Jackson's does. So we're not, we, regardless, we weren't going to have cap room until we're, uh, I wrote a post on, on Reddit laying out how we are locked into this team unless we, unless we try to blow it up, which we can talk about later. We're locked into this team not being under the cap for another two years from now. Um, so two more seasons. Mm-hmm. If we hadn't signed them, I think we would still be over the cap or only like a few million under the cap. So we wouldn't have enough cap room to sign anyone of significance. Unless you think that the, it'd be more favorable to sign some, like it just they wouldn't have been quite as crazy the next year or something like that to sign someone with uh, on better value because of the uh, who knows but like so but but the thing is you get a better value let's say we sign someone just as good as them for half as much yeah we would have an extra you know ten million dollars we're we're over the cap by fifteen million dollars we'd be over the cap by five million dollars it it it's like we'd get better pats on the back from all the commentators. But we would have zero additional ability to sign anybody, or no cap room where you can like absorb someone else's bad contracts and get a draft pick, or something like that. It it it, it really it, it's like you, your window with cap room opens up and you have to use it well, and then once you're locked into Reggie Jackson and Andre Drummond taking up enough of your cap that you can't be below the cap. Yeah, it, there's nothing else to do with it. So really. The, this hasn't worked out. Um, the mistake, well, if there was one, was committing to a core of Reggie Jackson and Andre Drummond. The 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 only way we could have built the team differently is if we just didn't sign them. Uh, uh, and that that's a fine criticism to make. That's one way to build a team, but there are other ways too. You can do the process and try to tank for draft picks. Um, you can always just kind of bide your time. You know, if you have the vision to see a team built around Andre Drummond won't build it on a max contract, won't win a championship. You know, that's that's fair. We we haven't we haven't won a championship yet. So well, it makes it makes me think that like Drummond's been kind of under the radar in people's criticism because he's good. He's an All Star this year, All Star a couple of years ago. He's the league's best rebounder. Yep. He's looking to get better and better at defense. Like he actually looked pretty like, like improved on defense. His free throw shooting's gotten better. But if you think he is our cor- our cornerstone and the guy we're paying up to twenty five million dollars a year, and he's not he's not so good that he actually helps you bounce back from things like when Reggie Jackson's injured. Like he's so good, he's a playmaker. Like having having your main guy not be a playmaker. Yes. really hurts, and, and maybe that's one of the bigger lessons that people aren't talking about, and and it also leads to like why Van Gundy uh, probably felt like it was a good idea to to make that trade for Blake, where we actually traded Tobias one of one of his previous good moves that was sort of consensus good moves for him because we don't have enough playmaking, and that's why we we're so vulnerable to Reggie Jackson being injured. Absolutely, I mean the um, I, I've been you know doing a deep dive into some. You know, play type numbers recently, and we can do more on this uh, during the off season when we talk more about team building. But one of the things that really struck me is it's really important to have guys who are primary playmakers who can actually break down a defense either in isolation or off of a pick and roll or in the post. And I just noticed that teams that have good offenses have a couple of guys who are really good at that. 
Um, he, you know, Houston has James Harden, who the numbers show is incredible in isolations and is bad when he tries to shoot off a pick and roll, but still creates a lot of possessions. Probably most of Houston's open threes come off of him breaking down the defense and being a threat. Um, and, and Chris Paul is similar. So they have two guys who can do that. Um, Golden State, Curry and Durant both create a lot of um, our primary creators. Okay, so what we have is Andre Drummond, who does not do anything well as a primary creator. He uses a few possessions in the post, and he's very bad at it. We tried to make an investment. My, my positive spin the past couple of years has been we're ma- investing in Drummond's ability to be a post player, and it hasn't worked out. He's, he's bad in the post. He scores really well off of cuts um, where, where someone else passes it to him, so he, and um, pick and roll um, as, the, as the roll man. Again, somebody else has to cr- put that pressure on the defense and, and get by his guy. And, all, and he's elite on uh, putbacks. He led the league uh, by a wide margin. He's just incredible at that. So what do you do when you have a max guy um, uh, using up uh, that much of your salary cap on a guy who creates like that, who, who doesn't isn't a primary creator like that? We haven't had an above-average offense since Van Gundy got here. We were average for his first couple of years and significantly below average the last couple of years. What you do is you get a guy who is a flawed player, but his his skill is creating, breaking down the defense and creating offense. And that's what Reggie Jackson does, and that's why he's so important. He's one of the best in the league at high volume, scoring off a of pick and roll decently efficiently. And so you get a max guy who doesn't create and a non-max guy who does create. That's actually what Utah's done. Rudy Gobert is not a primary creator. He's just an elite, like, putbacks and roll man guy. And Donovan Mitchell breaks down the defense. Even though he doesn't shoot a high percentage, he can get by his guy and put pressure on them. So he's like a – Donovan Mitchell is more like a Kobe Bryant, um, Allen Iverson type of guy where the numbers say he's really inefficient, but the but anyone who watches basketball can see that his team wins more when he's on the floor, and it's because he's breaking down the defense. Al Horford's similar. Max guy who doesn't do any primary creation. So that's a team built around defense, and they have other guys who can create, like Kyrie Irving. And well, you say, well, why is Boston doing so well without Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward? They're actually bad on offense. Yeah, they're just they're bad. Um, <laughs> but what they have is Jason Tatum has emerged as a as a as a creator, and they're elite on defense, and that's how they're winning. So that's my mini rant about like what do you do when you're building around Drummond? It makes it tricky and delicate. But you can do it if you get other guys who can create. And that's why Blake Griffin was so important. He's that second creator. Yeah, and maybe it's just that if you look back at the Van Gundy era and try to, like, okay, here we here we are, the bros in, like, defending, splitting hairs and, 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 and making reasonable defenses of, of some of yeah. Van Gundy's moves. All of his moves against the backdrop of having bet on Drummond as your, as your core max player Maybe that was the biggest mistake, and what we yeah. could have done instead, as is traded him for first round a first round pick, and and kind of like kind of bet again in the future, like kind of just like invest further. But then Van Gundy's on a five year contract. In the window of that five year time, he wouldn't have he could have spent those five years making us better five years later, and and then he wouldn't have actually won any games either. And, and who knows what people would be saying about him then. So it's just a, it's just a really hard thing that 
it seems like it yeah. just takes some luck and some really long-term planning to get that core, really elite offensive player on your team. This is where ownership comes into into play. Is Gores came in and he's he's just saying, "I want to win. I want to win more. We're not winning enough." <laughs> yeah, no shit, asshole. And, and, it, <laughs> and it's like, um, and so he brings in Van Gundy, and they're aligned on a plan. Like within the next five years, we need to be relevant in, in, in the playoffs and in the mix. And so you you reach a point where you. Um, Van Gundy's um, going into his second year. We have to decide: Are we building around the guys we have, the lottery picks we have, Drummond, Stanley Johnson? You know, uh, he gets Reggie Jackson because he's a great complement to Drummond. In that way, we we we're, we have to look ourselves in the mirror and say: Do we sign these guys to the big contracts it'll take to keep them and have this be our core, and then try to fill in? Yes or no? If no, then we have to admit. We're pushing back the timeline by a couple of years, and that was not Gore's vision. His his vision was, let's be good now. And Van Gundy's strategy, I would, his team-building strategy, I would call, be as good as you can without mortgaging the future. And, um, you know, I, I wrote a post on the Detroit Pistons Reddit a couple weeks ago saying we have not mortgaged the future. I can hear people saying, well, but we traded a first-round pick for Blake Griffin. That's the only move we've made that... Trades a dra- trades a first round pick away um, in the Van Gundy era, and it was to get a guy who's a multiple time All Star. You know, our official position on that on this podcast is we wouldn't have done it because even now, even even that to trade a pick wasn't good. Yeah, I mean, I honestly think that 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 might be the least defensible move that Van Gundy's made as a GM, in my opinion, because yeah, because we're paying him a super max, we're going to be paying him like freaking like forty million dollars the last year of his contract. Yeah, in four years, and and and. Um, I just think that, like, that was a case where had he had more room, like, and I, to me, in an ideal world, you'd have 10 years to, to, to see things out. It's just, it's just too hard to do that, though. And and, yep. and so he, in, in his window, if, if Van Gundy's thinking about this season and next season, if, if I'm trying to maximize our chances of being uh, like a middle of the, like a, like a four seed in the East and, and this year or next year, that was a rational decision. Maximizing our outcome in the next five years, it was a bad decision because you're paying. If you're going to pay someone that much, they better be so awesome that they're worth even more than that. Like someone like James Harden or, or LeBron James or Steph Curry, where if there wasn't a salary cap, they'd be making fifty million dollars a year. We're paying a guy like we're, we're sli- probably slightly overpaying Blake for what he's actually going to be worth, yes. if not overpaying him. And overpaying people doesn't get you anywhere, even though he is a good player and I have hopes for what he can do for us. And who knows, maybe next season we actually will be a, a fourth seed and we'll see what happens. But um, uh, that overall, everything that we've done has not resulted in what we hoped for. Yep. I mean, we're, so now we're locked into a position where if guys perform as expected, we will be good, but not contenders. I, I think that... I think that this team, just on paper, um, with reasonable, you know, you run the simulation a hundred times with various injury things. We're like a forty-five win team, um, it, it, uh, or something like that. I mean, people will quibble about it, um, or or better because Drummond is better. We won forty-four games a couple of years ago, and we have a better roster. May, and maybe we're like a, you know, maybe a peak fifty-win team. And so we end up sort of like the the Wizards now, or something like that. Okay, so how do we become contenders? We become contenders by lucking out and having one of our draft picks be better than expected or by signing a free agent who turns out to be way better than expected, like when the Pistons signed Chauncey Billups. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
a long time ago, and he's just he turned out to be a Hall of Famer, um, and we didn't even you know pay an above market value contract to get him. Or you you know Ben Wallace is thrown into a trade for Grant Hill as as a salary cap fodder, and he turns out to be a Hall of Famer. Yeah, pr- probably our, our best our closest thing to that for like when we traded Ilyasova and Jennings and got Tobias back and didn't give up a first round pick, we won that trade. That's maybe one consensus good move of Van Gundy as a free agent, or the fact that we ended up getting Reggie Bullock. I mean, he's another guy, but you need to have... We, we traded, Van Gundy traded one second round pick for Marcus Morris and Reggie Bullock. Yeah, and and so, you know, there's been some good moves, but you need more things like that to happen. Yeah. I think it's also worth just assessing, where did he start? We start our roster when, our roster at the end of the 2013-14 season when Van Gundy arrived, a 29-win season, was Brandon Jennings... Josh Smith, Greg Monroe, Drummond, Kyle Singler, and he had Kyle Stuckey playing some minutes. Casey, Rodney Stuckey. Oh, Rodney Stuckey, sorry. And KCP's rookie season, and we had a 37-year-old Chauncey Billups. You know, what you were, you were saying, like, three three of those guys aren't even in the league this year, and Kyle Singler will be out as soon as his contract's done. It was just a terrible roster, and his first season, we didn't have a first-round pick because we were still – we had because Joe D had given up a first-round pick to get rid of Ben Gordon. So think about that because a first-round pick – that year, which would have been a lottery pick, imagine how the impact that's having right now. That could have been like the missing piece to like have us be more robust against a, an injury, and yeah. we just didn't have it. So we were in a we were in a deficit to start things out. Yeah. So that plus the five million dollars of uh, Josh Smith's wave and stretch contract are the 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 debt we're still paying off from uh, the end of the Dumars era. By the way, the first episode of the Bros and Business podcast mostly consisted of me. Uh, defending most of Joe D's moves, so it's a. Uh, I, I'm a, I, I'm on team um, mostly. If if our team's bad, it's because of bad luck. Uh, you'll notice a theme over the years. But what I wanted to say was that that picture of our future I just painted was was um, we're we're going to be pretty good, and we need to get lucky to become contenders. And that sounds kind of pathetic as a plan, but look at the teams that are actually contenders, and look at the role that luck played in their. Um, in where they got, um, Boston, uh, they, they had Paul Pierce and it was terrible that they fleeced Minnesota in a trade to get Garnett. And then at the end of Garnett and Pierce's careers, they, they fleeced a desperate Brooklyn Nets team with a new owner throwing money around to try to win now and just got these draft picks but, but, that turned into Jalen Brown. But is that what I mean? That was smart. That that was that was smart and lucky that they were in a position to be there and and that there was a team that was like one, a once in a generation stupid in in terms of mortgaging their future. So they're both lucky and good. And those draft picks have turned out well. They got lucky that uh, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are both um, great. Like they got those picks in years where someone good came. Um, they got lucky that they ended up with um, uh, the that uh, Philadelphia wanted to do the Tatum for Fultz trade. But, and I'm not saying it's lucky, like they don't deserve any credit, but they, they've just had a bunch of things hit. And they got lucky in moves that, that didn't happen. Uh, Ainge was getting antsy and tried to trade four future first-round draft picks for Charlotte's pick to take Justice Winslow, who does not look like a future all-star right now, much less a Hall of Famer. Uh, Charlotte drafted Frank Kaminsky instead. Um and uh, it, so that's that's they got lucky that Charlotte didn't do that trade. Okay, but so that's both being both lucky and good with a once in a generation like fleecing of a team. 
So, but good, good for Boston that they did that. I mean, they, uh, and also I, I would say that so that, that's on the GM side, and then also comparing ourselves to Boston, the coaching side. I can't, I can't point my finger on where Van Gundy is not doing a better job, except for maybe the lack of imagination in our offensive scheme. But yeah. you would like to think that so we, we we lose some players to injury, and he's able to adjust things so that we're so that we're, we're we don't tank quite as badly. Like this year, we started off strong. Reggie Jackson twists his ankle, and we can't hold the, we can't hold the, down the fort and even like maybe be a four hundred team yeah. until he comes back. We, we just sucked. The, the way we the way the Boston's done it has been with defense, and that's Van Gundy's orientation, and he's constantly yelling at the players for not doing uh, certain defensive things right. And that I just don't know if it's coaching or personnel. And Van Gundy's in charge of both, and it, it hasn't worked out. Just stay, just staying on the, the the role of luck thing. So Boston is the best example of actual GM skill being how you got there. Okay, yeah. um, Houston, they they again. Um, they fleeced uh, Oklahoma City in the trade to get Harden. Um, and Harden turned out to be, he lived up to his potential. Um, it wasn't certain that that was going to happen. So those are the two teams that really, like, were just good um, and, and got it. And even Houston has some whiffs. I mean, they, they signed, um, what's his name? The guy who Van Gundy used to play with. Oh, Ryan Anderson. No, no, they signed the the guy who was on the Van Gundy's Finals team. Uh, Who's now playing for Charlotte. Oh, Dwight Howard. Dwight Howard, yeah. And Dwight Howard didn't work out for them. They kind of had a lost season there, but they recovered and, from it. And they signed Ryan Anderson to a, yeah. a worse than any contract, Van Gundy's signed contract probably. Um, but Golden State, their plan was to be good and sign our, our, our player. They, they, their plan was to build around David Lee, Andrew Bogut, and Andre Iguodala. And then they just got ass lucky that they drafted uh, Steph Curry and Klay Thompson, and Curry got hurt at just the right time to have a below max contract. And the cap went up right when um, Kevin Durant was available, and they suddenly had room. And they got Draymond Green in the second round. So that's okay, good for their scouting department. But like their plan was to do what we're doing, and then they got their Hall of Fame players by having getting good breaks on on draft picks, and. So I'm not saying they don't deserve it or, or whatever. I'm just saying um, that that's the role that, that luck plays. You put yourself in a position to be good, and then you become great by having something, a few things break right. The Wizards are in the same position as us. Now they're paying a bunch of guys. They, they need to have a middle of the first-run draft pick turn out great or a free agent signing turn out better than expected to become contenders. Cleveland... They won the lottery and got LeBron James for a generation, even though he took a little hiatus to Miami. Miami, um, they had that summer where the three Max guys decided to um, all be together during uh, Pat Riley engineered having three Max cap slots. That's just genius, and he took a huge risk, and it might not have worked out, but it did. Um, so I don't know. It's like... The way, there's no sure way to build a team, but we're doing one of the ways, which is be be really good, be pretty good, and wait, be in a position where if something breaks unexpectedly right, you you're a contender. Um, yeah, and I don't know what else to do. Well, I, this kind of well, overall, my feeling about Van Gundy getting fired right now, I felt like we may as well have let him have his fifth year and see, like, assuming that he's going to be the best person to see through the roster that he constructed. 
if we end up getting a, a coach who seems really promising and he's willing yeah. to, he or she is willing to take it. I say he or she because actually the one of the Spurs assistants, Becky Hammond, is actually interviewing for some jobs. Um, it would be, um, you know, I, I could be convinced that we hire hire a better coach and see, shake things up a little bit. But if we just yeah. kind of like change things up to change things up and, and to just suck for another five years for no reason, it's not going to help us. And but I would say that I, I, I'm also on the other hand not not like. Be mo- I'm not like really devastated because I think Van Gundy is a genius. Yeah, I can't tell. I, I can't. I'm, I'm not a big enough expert to have a smoking gun see where we went wrong. I just know that we haven't had. I suspect that someone better could have had some insights in a couple of situations where that would have been. It would have been nice to see. Like this guy's a genius. How did he see this guy was going to be better in the draft? He, we haven't had moments like that, you know. And I, it would be nice to mm-hmm. see that, and we just haven't had it. Yeah, I, I would say that my overall stance is that I'm not strongly pro Van Gundy. I'm just um, very cranky anti anti Van Gundy. <laughs> I just I think that people are rating him very low, and there's just no good evidence for that. But I'm not. But I think it, it's you know even odds that will be that will be better with a with a new regime um, because. Uh, all the coaches at this level are pretty good at some aspects of their job, and you know maybe the next coach will be a better fit for this roster, or we'll get lucky in a way and have good chemistry with somebody, or it'll be the same and it's fine. So whatever. Or, or maybe it'll be a fresh start and players will try hard and we'll have we'll have a top three defense next year, yeah, or something like that. Yeah, exactly. So um, I, I'm not saying it's like clearly a bad move. I'm just saying the people. I'm just I'm anti anti. I'm not strongly pro. Um, and if you step back and just think about how do you run a team as an owner, you know, when do you, when do you give the, your regime more rope and when do you cut bait? And, um, we've seen success in both ways. You know, it's like Utah has Jerry Sloan coach their team for like 20 years and they become, they're like a constantly 50 win team. They have a couple of Hall of Famers and they just can't get past Michael Jordan. I don't know. Did that work out well for them or would they have been better off trying something different? That continuity really worked. Popovich is Mr. Continuity, and he's he's been flexible. But mostly, they just like kind of they just got uh, Tim Duncan and Kawhi Leonard and uh, David Robinson, uh, getting lucky, winning the lottery in good years, or um, you know being lucky slash good on identifying Kawhi Leonard. Okay, um, if you step back and just see like when to use which strategy. If you don't if you don't know what makes a team good. It's actually not that unreasonable to just be like, have your algorithm essentially be, give the regime four years, and if you're not clearly great, fire everybody and start over. You know, there's some amount of years where it's like, just give them four, five, six years, and then just get a fresh start because you just, just changing things up, you might randomly end up with somebody awesome. Um, you know, that that's not, that's not a crazy strategy, and... If you look back at the history, most teams don't keep their coach for longer than four or five years. Uh, Toronto's been really unusual having Dwayne Casey slowly build this team with continuity and, you know, being flexible and having the same people but change your strategy. And they they peaked this year with like a 59-win team, and they've been great. And then they get beaten by LeBron James and, and, and humiliated by LeBron James. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of especially given that they went to seven games against Indiana in the round prior. But it seems like that during that series is when they kind of things clicked and LeBron James kind of got 
just enough offense going to, re- to kind of return them to be an elite offense. And now it's looking like they're favorites to beat Boston and go back to the finals. So they've lost to the eventual finals team three years in a row. And by the way, for the record, I'm not actually in the camp of it's championship or bust. I would be very happy to be a Raptors fan right now. And 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 having those sweet years after the championship when we were in the Eastern Conference Finals, the finals, I, I would love to have a team that was uh, – to me, if, if we're a four-seater better in the East – I'm happy because from you're, you're from there you're within striking distance. I'm not happy being on the outside of the eighth seed. That's the freaking worst position to be in. You get shitty draft picks. You, you you can't rebuild towards the future well enough, and you're not having fun because yeah. you're, you're you know we we've we haven't even won a single playoff game in like a decade. So I'm not happy with where the Pistons are. But for the record, I would be happy yeah. with a Raptors situation where you're you know a top three Eastern Conference team, and hey, you're playing against one of the best players of all time, and you can't get past them. You know, maybe no one could in the East right now. Yeah, I I, I completely agree with you that being um, third, fourth, fifth seed, and you haven't mortgaged your future by trading all your first round picks to get there, that's a fine place to be. You have hope. You're you put yourself in that position to have something break right and be contenders. Actually, it's interesting you bring up the they they're great, but then they got beat by the eventual champion. That's that Utah Jazz team. You know, they they just. They just get beat. They get beat by Michael Jordan in the finals. Um, the the Pistons, when they we've lamented, we shouldn't have fired Flip Saunders. We got we got destroyed by LeBron James in in the, in the finals. So it's like we just you get frustrated. and You think, well, we can't get over the hump. You the only way you can win is by having LeBron James. So let's just tear everything down. I mean, you can you can do that, but you ha- you have to endure. Like Minnesota made the playoffs for the first time in thirteen years this year. Like. Orlando is just wandering in the wilderness of since Dwight Howard left. They've got these lottery picks, and they you know they just traded Alfred Payton for nothing, and uh, you know Aaron Gordon doesn't look like anything. Jonathan Isaac, we'll, we'll see. They they might have five more years before they're even as good as the Pistons are this year, or it might happen in two years. We just don't know. I would rather be in our position now than try to do the process because Philadelphia it was rational. To do the process, if you look at the math, like you only win if you get LeBron James, you only get you can maximize your chance of getting LeBron James if you tank every year. But they just happen to do it in years when generational, like Ben Simmons might be like Magic Johnson, uh, Joel Embiid might be like Hakeem Olajuwon, you know, all timers. Well, and and that's kind of what bums me out about our the the, the ending of this era of Van Gundy. Van Gundy felt a pressure to win to the degree, the degree that he made a bad move, in my opinion, in trading for Blake Griffin, which kind of does mortgage the, mortgage the future a little bit, both on our cap room and traded, on, a, draft traded a draft pick. So the, so the next person who starts is kind of starting in a, in a similar position to Van Gundy in that they're not going to have a, a draft pick, but their roster is way better. It's like a, it's, instead of being a 29-win roster, it's a, it's a 45-win roster. And, you know, that's, that's not as awful a position to be in. You know, it might be that three years from now we'll, we'll be singing another tune. Blake Griffin will have been injured, will be awful, and will be stuck with that contract. That's a real possibility. So, I mean, if Blake Griffin gets, gets injured and sucks for the rest of his career at any point in the next three years, that will, have, that will go down as, like, a really awful decision. So it, it'll, it will, It's one that we knew was risky at the time, and we said we wouldn't do because it's too risky at the time. But it's one that broke badly, it, 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 you know. Yeah, um, it, it, it's a good or bad decision before we know what happens. I think it was a, a too risky to do it. 
Um, but you know, so they'll inherit a roster that is a, a mid forties team and uh, trying to find some some way to get lucky. Like maybe Andre Drum. Let, 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 actually, so let's talk about the path forward here. What what is the new coach looking at? And, and GM and president of basketball operations. What are what are we looking at here? You know, you can go one of two ways. You can just continue go, going forward, try to be good, or you can blow it up. If you're going forward, what you have is we're locked into this roster for a couple of years, two years of having basically this team plus mid-level exception players and draft picks, um, unless you want to um, get radical and, um, and and blow it up, which we can talk about in a minute. And then you have basically only Blake Griffin uh, under and Andre Drummond under contract, and you can you'll have cap room to replace Reggie Jackson and everybody else. If you don't, if, if it's not working out, you don't want to resign them. Uh, and what your your hope there is, Drummond takes another leap forward and become and starts playing up to his potential on defense. That's really the foundation of us. If we're ever going to be contenders, that's probably the most likely way that it happens. Is Drummond's quick feet, his ability to be like Al Horford uh, guarding switches on pick and rolls, um, his his you know good hands, his ability to protect the rim. You know, we've seen with Utah, with Gobert, and Boston, with um, Horford, that having an elite defense, or frankly, Van Gundy with Dwight Howard, you can have a, um, a mediocre offense and an elite defense if you just have one awesome big man. Probably not a better than 50-50 bet that Drummond gets there. He's got the physical tools to get there, but the reason he was drafted by us, I believe, seventh instead of, like, first overall, even though he's physically amazing, is that, you know, his motor, his attitude, his instincts, whatever you want to call it, um, it's not a sure thing to get there. But he did take a big leap up this last year. I think that's the big path going forward is, like, no one gets injured and Drummond get, lives up to his potential. Yeah, so let's say if, if we win a playoff series in the next two years, Yep. I mean, maybe no one will look back and give Van Gundy credit, but I'll say, you know, Van Gundy, he did okay. It, it wasn't amazingly genius that somehow became us to contenders again. Yep. But he did okay. If if we don't, then I'll say that he didn't. Like, that was that was too bad. It, it wasn't, like, an absolute disgrace, but it wasn't good. So I think we'll be looking to see, and hopefully we'll get a new coach who is a good steward of this current plan because it's the plan we got now, for better or for worse. Yep. And, we, and, I, and I would – Really like us to, to to get to the point where we can win a first a first round playoff series. We really have to get to that fourth position or fifth position. Yeah. Because otherwise, you're you're going to be facing the 76ers, perhaps LeBron if he comes back. Yep. Boston and and just not going to happen. You know. So we have we have to get good enough to to be uh you know middle of the pack to face you know the, to beat the Wizards in the first round. And I, I know I'd be happy go to the go to LCA and see us win a playoff series. You that'd know, be great. That'd be great. I- and, and once you're good, then you can start having things happen like the 76ers get uh, Ilyasova and Bellinelli on – they were bought out by the, the Hawks, and they get them on minimum contracts for the rest of the year. Then you can add those little complementary pieces just because players want to be on teams that are good. Or Baines signing for less than the Pistons were offering to play with the Celtics. That's right. Exactly. And, yeah. and, and, and Baines is good. He's a better defender than Drummond, for example. Okay, so we can either stand pat – if we want to try to be good but but shake things up a little bit, I think our only option is to trade our bad contracts for a worse contract that's longer for a player that's a little better. You can get um, 
like Lure is signed for the next two years and Ish Smith is signed for one more year. That's $16, $17 million that you could trade for a contract that's similar size that's two years or three years. Um, you throw Galloway in there too. Uh, it, you could add seven million to that to get up more. And the guys that you could get that way are like, you know, Kent Bazemore, Nick Batum, uh, uh, Tim Hardaway Jr., um, Joakim Noah. Those are guys that are signed to contracts that would work that way. And then, and what you, what you're then, then you're doubling down on that plan to be like a. Well, what you're doing is you're saying we're locked into this two-year window, this two- or three-year window, and we're going to blow it up after that. And so let's just um, try to get guy, either guys that might fit well, like, you know, in the right – if you squint your eyes, you could see Bazemore or Batum um, working out well with our – as compliments to our existing guys, and they're way overpaid. Or you, if you get a guy like Joakim Noah, you might get new, the, the Knicks lottery pick this year. Because Noah's contract is so bad, you know, so so that's that that's basically our option. And then we have the mid-level exception. As long as we don't sign them past two or three years, you're you're still focusing on this. We're not going to have cap room for two or three years, so let's just um, use all of our money to be as good as we can now without mortgaging the future. Mortgaging the future would be signing guys to longer than three years or trading away draft picks. So that's my opinion about you know, what's available to us if we don't blow it up, if we just decide to ride this out, let's try to get above 50 wins and then try to have things break right. Yeah. Um, I'm not even sure how would we, how, what would it mean to blow it up right now? Well, there, there we're talking about um, probably trying to get worse. So you trade guys that are good now for guys that are bad plus draft picks. So, I haven't seen anyone report this, but let's just say, like, we trade trade Drummond. We trade Drummond, let's say, for Bismarck, Biombo, salary cap filler, and Orlando, and, and like, a good draft pick from Orlando. So Bismarck, Biombo is going to make $17 million for the next couple years, and he's, like, a below-average backup center. (laughs) uh, He has the physical tools to be dominant on defense. But he catches the ball on offense like he doesn't have fingers on his hands, yeah, and um, and all that. So okay, so that type of thing. Or we trade Drummond to the Knicks for Joakim Noah's heinous contract and Trey Burke and their lottery pick this year, or something like that. So a move like that, or um, let's say um, uh, I, I thought, what if the Washington Wizards wanted to trade us overpaid? but still pretty good and young. Otto Porter's $27 million deal, plus Kelly Oubre, who's like about like Stanley Johnson, but can hit an open shot, and a first-round draft pick for Blake Griffin. Let's say they just decide, we want to we we double down on John Wall and Bradley Beal, and Blake Griffin's the man. I, I don't know if that would be smart for them, but... So I, I'm not very good at coming up with realistic trade deals. So my, all, all these deals I'm talking about are appropriate, plus or minus either team throwing in draft picks to make it realistic. I, I, um, so it, that's what it would look like is like you trade a guy, who uh, one of our guys who's good for guys that are less good plus future assets. Um, I think that's what it would look like. Um, you, you trade um, Reggie Jackson for Dennis Schroeder, who's on a um, – 
who's younger but on a longer term deal. I don't know. I mean, I, yeah, but I'm think, thinking about it. We, we just we just took one big step in the opposite direction and giving up a first round pick. Uh huh. So I it would be it would take like extra it would take like extra moves to undo that and then get one step further in the right direction and in the meantime just become bad enough that those first round picks become good. Yep. Uh, like we've already lost our own. We can't trade back for it very easily. So us sucking, ha- having sucked this year doesn't help us. But sucking next year could help us. Let, let's say in the middle of next year, Blake Griffin's doing awesome. But, like, Reggie Jackson's hurt again, and we decide to blow it up. In the middle of the year, we could trade currently playing well and not hurt. And he just came from his, his first full off season without rehabbing an injury in five years. And he looks awesome, Blake Griffin. But, like, Reggie's hurt, and we and uh, Drummond doesn't like the new coach. So, it, you know, a team would value Blake Griffin, but... Um, you know, a, a scenario where we still want to blow it up, even though Griffin's good. That's where we could probably maximize our value for Griffin. So that that's what it would look like to blow it up, I think. Um, and uh, you, you well, know, plus, it, plus you take um, Gore's attitude, you know, being embarrassed about the empty seats and LCA and everything like that. You imagine us. My guess is that we'll start out trying to go towards the path of being yes. good next year. But to your point, we could make a we could call an audible midseason if it's not working out. Uh, yeah, absolutely, and and if you end up and if you end up trading our decent players for slightly worse players on bad contracts, then then you're then you'll get a good draft pick the next year, and we have we we live through probably at least two or three years of let's play the young guys as a euphemism for let's not try to be good and let's get a good draft pick, and. You know, let's see what, you know, maybe Stanley Johnson and Luke Kennard will turn out well. Maybe let's give Henry Ellenson some more playing time on his rookie contract. Who knows? Maybe he'll turn out to be the next, you know, Tony Kukoc. You know, I, I don't know. Um, and that's that's what it would look like. And that has, you know, fan bases on teams that are doing that have hope, but maybe they don't watch the games that much. And you could really end up in a situation like Phoenix is now where, they have Booker, but then they have a bunch of guys they drafted high that are like not that good or exciting. Orlando, <clears throat> that we talked about before, and, and, I, I think, and we might just have to live through it. I think the process mentality was that the insight was that you don't want just a lottery pick; you really want the top three pick. There's yep. a huge difference there in you know the chances of getting a generational a good player, and even the 76ers whiffed on three other guys, right? I mean, they, or two other guys, at least. The, yeah, I mean, they, um, Jaleel Okafor and Nerlens Noel, yeah. they both might not be in the league next year. Yeah, so, I mean, that, that just goes to show that they had to get a top three pick for four years in a row. I don't think we're going to do that. So the, the risk is that, and plus, now the cat's out of the bag. There's so many teams at the end of the year chasing the tank race that you have to really suck and really be committed to get to get to a top five pick. And they just changed the rules to make it less likely that you'd get the top five pick. I, I don't know. I can't remember the details because we you know we're probably not going to have a top pick this year. But the tanking will get sl- statistically slightly less rewarding in the future. Um, and so yeah, so worst case scenario, we start trying to tank. We we don't tank hard enough, or the rules continue to change to, to, to reward it less, and then we end up sucking for five years and ending up more like Orlando yeah. than the 76ers. So I would the sixth pick five years in a row. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, so I don't know. If I were running the team, I would try to – I actually like our strategy. Be as good as you can without trading uh, any first-round picks. Um, I call that, a, I guess, what I wish we'd done with our strategy, not doing the Blake Griffin. Yeah, had we just, had we just stopped short of trading for Blake Griffin and we still had Tobias Harris, 
um, we'd have a lot of options, and we, we arguably might be as good as we are now, unless Blake Griffin really makes a difference. It, it was not promising the, what happened this year, but we really didn't have. We had a lot of things changing. Jennings came back rusty. Uh, no, not Jennings. Um, Reggie, Jackson. Reggie Jackson came back rusty, and et cetera. So let's give it a fair shake, but I'm not yeah. optimistic that he moved the needle beyond Tobias Harris, who's actually playing really great. He just can't really create his own offense. Here, here's the case for Blake Griffin uh, at being a, a, a significant, like a, a category upgrade for us, is that he um, his numbers this year and last year is in the post – he can create several possessions where he scores very efficiently at decently high volume in the post. And in past years, he's been good as a pick-and-roll ball handler with uh, DeAndre Jordan, too. He was bad in his short time on pick-and-rolls in Detroit. I hope that's an aberration. And now, this year, he hit, I think, like 34% of his, his threes, and maybe he'll get better at that. So he could be a guy where he he can actually create possess, create disruption on offense enough to where we can have an above average offense to go with our hopefully good defense. And that's the, that's the scenario where we're Blake. We're glad we traded for Blake Griffin, where we have two guys, Reggie Jackson and Blake Griffin, who can break down the defense, which is what you need to have a really good offense. And of course, both of those guys are injury prone. (laughs) Um, Hopefully um, at least one of them will be healthy at any given time. And we won't have a hard to watch offense. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we've covered a lot of it, a lot of what we wanted to cover. We'll, we'll see what happens next year. Um, we're going to roll it out. I, I, I'm not sure I've mentioned this before, but our, our slide guitar intro and outro is by our friend Charles Lavois of Brooklyn, New York. And if you if you, you can search for him if you want to see some of his creative stuff online. And if you like us and you're one of our, you know, 60 to 100 listeners, uh, feel free to give us a, a a rating on iTunes or tell your friends. Uh, we enjoy uh, talking some smart basketball and, and getting some feedback. So uh, thanks, and we will probably talk again to drill down into what things will look like in, in this next uh, That's right. next season. That's right. And if, if the conversation will be really different if the 3 or 4% chance we get a top pick in the draft lottery th- this week. Uh, yeah, 95% chance we don't, but there's like a 3% chance we get a top three pick. <laughs> That'll be awesome. Yeah. All right.